0: Today's scripture reading comes from Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20 and going through chapter 4 in verse 1. Verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crowned, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. You may be seated. If you read in your e-news, we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're, we've been walking through Philippians, but instead of continuing to the next set of verses... We're, we're sticking in the same passage because there's something in the passage we covered last week that I just, I thought it would be worth our time to pull out, focus on, and develop some more. And what we're going to focus on comes from chapter 3, verse 20, where Paul has this phrase. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we have walked through Philippians, I know I've said a lot that there are these, I think there's a higher percentage of famous verses in, in this book than probably any other book that we have in the Bible. And they, when they're famous, they become familiar. And when they become familiar, they can lose their gravity. And so this is one of those phrases, citizens of heaven, that has become so familiar that, that it can lose its gravity. And there are a few phrases in the Bible, I think, that shape the, the whole of who we underst- understand ourselves to be in the Christian world. So it's very important to me that, that we understand citizens of heaven. And I think it's very providential that this comes up on Reformation Sunday because 501 years ago, this week was when Martin Luther nailed the 95 theses to the, to the church door in Wittenberg. And when he did it, he knew that he was going to be bringing on, at the very least, disagreement. And as this thing grew, he and others realized the degree of persecution that was gonna come their way. And I don't believe any of them would have done what they did to bring the Reformation about if they believed this world was their home. We have a different citizenship. And we may live 501 years later in a very different culture, but we share a lot of the same problems in our culture i think you can learn a lot about any culture by the movies we watch the 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 big blockbusters movies that where they keep they keep making new books and new movies movies like star wars and x-men and harry potter and avatar and you see that not only are we drawn to these movies as a culture we spend billions of dollars on them for a reason is because there are themes and patterns in these movies that touch some of the deepest longings that we have. We, whether we realize it or whether we know how to acknowledge it or not, we have a feeling of not belonging here. We have a feeling that we're at a place in, in some way. We have a feeling that there's something more to this life than what we experience. And so we have these movies that I call, oh, I'm really a superhero, movies you know you oh I have the force and I can be a Jedi now or I'm okay I'm really a wizard and my true home is Hogwarts or I'm I'm a mutant and I'm not alone or one of my favorites there's a better body and a better earth waiting for me on Pandora that sequel's coming out soon there's something that's really getting to us because we know this is not the world that we're made for and Paul understands this truth and he tells us that there is a place that we're made for and we're right that it's not what we experience today what we see today but there is a better world with a better body and we can only have it if we are citizens of that world citizens of that kingdom and only Jesus offers that hope So we're gonna look at this this idea, this doctrine of citizens in heaven. And I, I wanna answer three questions, hopefully very clearly. What it means to be a citizen of heaven. What benefits we receive in this life from that citizenship. And then more importantly, what promises await us in the next life if we have this citizenship. All right, so first, what heavenly citizenship is. Heavenly citizenship is a new legal allegiance. A new allegiance that surpasses all other allegiances that we have. And clearly, Paul, when he's, he's using these words, he's, you know, he's referencing a national allegiance, all right? So we have a national allegiance. For most of us in this room, that allegiance is to the United States of America. To some of you, that might be another country. And we know that when we have these national allegiances, which we call citizenship, Where you hold your citizenship is going to affect your life greatly. It's going to affect the the privileges and the rights and the opportunities that we have. Citizenship in North Korea is going to look very differently than citizenship in the United States of America. Citizenship in Turkey is going to look very differently than citizenship in England. And to understand this concept of citizenship, we really need to understand at a very high altitude what it is that God's doing on this earth. Every kingdom that has ever been or ever ever will be on this earth has a lifespan. The greatest of empires have fallen. Egypt fell, Greece fell, Babylon fell, Rome fell, and I think if we could fast forward 2,000 years from now, the United States of America probably won't be the world superpower the way that it is, if it exists at all. Kingdoms in this world fall because they're broken. Because they exist in a fallen world and they're run by fallen people. So what God is doing, and this is the narrative of the entire Bible. He is working to restore and instill a kingdom that has no flaws and will not end. And the way that he's doing this is by starting with us. By creating a new humanity. He creates a new humanity and from that the entire kingdom will pursue And so when we become this new humanity, when we believe, when our citizenship is in heaven, we become a colony, a colony of sorts from the kingdom that will come. And this citizenship should be more supreme than any other citizenship that we have in this world. And I love the way Paul, we've we've read how he says this to to the Philippians. Listen to how he says it to the Ephesian church. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So it's really important there to see what Paul says we were before we became citizens. We were strangers and aliens. And this is really important to understand because I meet people often who will say, I say often, when I was on a college campus, it happened a little bit more, but it still happens people who think that to be a citizen of heaven, basically that means the opposite of fun. <laughs> I'm going to do that. I'm not going to have fun anymore. And, and they'll say things like, well, I'm, I want to do what I want to do. And then maybe after I'm done having my fun, then I'll think about heaven. And when people say this, they, they show they don't understand the degree to which they don't understand this world. They think, I've got this world figured out. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to satisfy my own desires and pleasures. And then maybe I'll think about the next life. But Paul's saying they're strangers. As strange as if you had, you dropped me into North Korea, North Korea. All right, you put me in the middle of North Korea. I can't imagine being more of a stranger. I look different. I have different social expectations. I speak a different language. I I don't understand anything that they're saying. I have no phone. I have no internet. I have no Google Translate. And then you add to that the fact that I'm an American and the authorities are inherently, immediately hostile against me. I don't even understand the letters they use, much less the words that those letters put together produce. I would be a total foreigner in North Korea, but at least I would realize it. But what Paul's saying is before we become citizens of heaven, we are just as strange in this world, but we think we belong here. We think we understand the design. And as, if we have eyes to see this truth, that before we are citizens, before we understand what we're made for and the design that God has, that we're strangers and aliens to this world, if, you, if we have eyes to see it, we're gonna begin to see this play out all over. So one of the... The clearest examples of this playing out in our culture and and I'll admit one of the most tense is the area of sexual identity. And I know for many of you, this is a very confusing and very personal issue. And I wanna tell you it's a very personal issue to my family as well. So I don't wade into this lightly. But I'm asked as a pastor by friends and family members who have someone they love, who's struggling with their sexual identity. Or maybe they're not struggling. They, they have chosen a different path, a path the family's concerned about. And the question is always, what do I do? What, what can I do? How can I help? And I've in turn asked over a dozen trained counselors, dozens of pastors and a handful of Christian psychologists how they would answer this question. And they all have some variation of the exact same thing. And the answer is simply love them love them and stay in their life because this is a path, whether they realize it or not, that will not satisfy them. We all have identity issues, every one of us in this room, but it's not primarily a sexual identity issue. So when people are looking to find their identity, their, their ultimate satisfaction there, we stay in their lives and love them. So when they can see They're strangers in this world and this life is not going to satisfy them that we can be close and love them and point them to the one who can. We're strangers in this world. Angela and I have the, one of the biggest blessings I think we've had over the past three years uh, is the opportunity to speak at Family Life Weekend to Remember Marriage Getaways about three or four times a year. And in every, I really started to think, I want to say every conference we've ever been to, about just to be safe, I'm going to say 99% of them. We see marriages that are broken because they think they know how the marriage is designed. They think they know how to satisfy themselves in this marriage, but their marriage is falling apart and they've come to a point that they realize it at least enough to come to one of these conferences (laughs) and they'll say things like, Jim, I'm not a Christian, but nothing I'm doing is working and I'm willing to give this one last shot. So what is your worldview? How is your design for marriage different than mine? And every time some kind of conversation like this happens, I'm able to be reminded And I need to remind myself, you're a stranger in this world. You don't understand the design, and this is exactly how all of us were if we believe in Jesus before we were made citizens of his kingdom. Our way will fail us. And this is why there's no such thing as degrees of Christianity. You, know, you can hear people say, like, he's a, he's a really good Christian. <laughs> Nobody in this room is more of a Christian than somebody else, because we are either citizens or not. Just like an American citizen, citizenship, you either have it or you don't. And I don't think Paul says it any clearer. So we've heard him talk to the Philippian Church, and we've heard him talk to the Ephesian church. Now we get to hear what he says to the Colossian Church. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. So this is a little stronger wording here than strangers and aliens. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So if if someone here, if, if most of you, you're an American citizen, You became a citizen of America or whatever country you're from in a moment. Either you were born and now you're a citizen or you were sworn in. There was one moment you weren't a citizen and then immediately following, you're a citizen. And the same is true with Christianity. There was a moment that we were not a citizen of heaven and then something happened and then immediately we were made a citizen of heaven. So we need to be able to understand for ourselves and all of our friends, how is it then that we apply? How do we get to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven? And the answer is simple. We recognize that we are strangers in this world and that Jesus is our only hope of seeing the kingdom that we really long for and that we are willing to submit and follow that king in hopes of seeing his reign and rule established in every corner of our society. And this is exactly what the author of Hebrews now is saying. When he says in chapter 11, they are strangers and exiles on this earth. For people who speak thus make clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared for them a city. And I want, before we move on on this citizenship topic, I want to stop and emphasize the impact that it has on this Sunday gathering. I prayed for this gathering in the beginning, very intentionally. So when, when you have American expatriates, that is American, Americans living in another country, it's it's a well-documented thing that you you see some odd groups of people coming together (laughs) because they're they're united in their citizenship and the fact that they're in a foreign land and it draws people who would not hang out in America normally to each other and so when I when, when we were overseas my friend group I was thinking about this week I had somebody who was as close to American royalty as you can as you can be had Picassos on the wall uh an infantryman with the U.S. military, a Mormon missionary, and a church planter, (laughs) all right? In America, we're probably not all hanging out, but you put us in another country and we're friends. We have this citizenship and this common hindrance of being in a place we didn't grow up and it draws us together and it transcends these natural societal barriers that we experience here. And then every so often, we would get the opportunity to visit a U.S. Army base or an Air Force base. And I don't know if you've ever been on a, on a base overseas, but you, you step onto the base and you're technically back on American soil. We know not really in America, but you're on American soil and it immediately feels different. Immediately, you just look and you see, it feels like America. The signs are in English. I mean, you're, the fashion is American. You see great dining facilities like Pizza Hut and, and Burger King. And and, yeah, I I mean, listen, you can only take so many Italian hamburgers with sandwich bread and fries put inside the hamburger before you're going to long for some Burger King. And and I know there are people who have said, but Jim, the best pizza in the world is in Italy. Why would you care about a pizza hut? It's because that's the pizza I grew up with. (laughs) That pizza is what reminds me of home. And I can go there and I can pay dollars, not monopoly money. And I get free refills and the, the police and fire truck sirens. They know how to make the right siren. The architecture, the architecture's American. I go there and I feel like home. And what do you have there? You have a group of people who under normal circumstances would never hang out with each other. We're bonded in our citizenship and we're getting a small taste of home even though we all know we're not there. And that's what we're doing on Sunday. We come together and we worship and we pray and we sing and we see people who under normal circumstances, maybe we wouldn't hang out together, but we come together and we worship and we get a taste of the home that we're longing for. And so to the degree that we value and prioritize this Sunday gathering, to that degree, we will continually taste for the home we long for and we will thrive As citizens in a foreign land that's what citizenship is now I want to talk a little bit about the benefits of citizenship in this life I would say primarily there are three benefits and the first one is the right to appeal the right to appeal I'm guessing most of you know the name Andrew Brunson by now. Andrew Brunson was is a, a pastor in the EPC who has been in jail in Turkey for two years because of his faith. And last week, and many of you have prayed for this, he was released and sent back to the United States. And we praise God that he has been released, but we can't forget that there are pastors in Turkey who have been imprisoned for 20 years who have no hope of release. So what's the difference between Andrew Brunson and some pastor whose name we will never know in jail in Turkey. The, dist- the difference is citizenship. With Andrew Brunson's American citizenship, he can appeal to the president of the United States the way a Turkish national will never be able to. Because he is a United States citizen, he can appeal to the president of the United States. He has that right, he has that power. And we see this in Paul's ministry too. Paul's a Roman citizen. And so Paul has this ability, every time he's thrown in jail, and I think we're gonna go to heaven and see that Paul was in jail a lot more than we think he was. Every time he was in jail, he could throw that card. I'm a Roman citizen. I have the right to appeal. You know, you local authorities, you can do whatever you want with everyone else, but you can't do that with me. I can appeal to a higher authority. I can appeal to the emperor himself. And with this, I think, clearly in mind, Paul is saying that when we are a citizen of heaven, we have an ability to make an appeal not simply to an emperor or a president, but the God of the universe. When we're citizens, we gain the power of appeal. And we can appeal the God of the universe for anything that we want. Anything, because this God truly cares about his citizens. And there is no appeal that will be more significant in our life to make to the God of the universe than for the forgiveness of our sins. And I make this point really intentionally because I have friends and family members who will tell me, Jim, I don't believe the Bible. And, I, and I, they would say, I know I'm not perfect, I probably wouldn't use the word sinful. I know I'm not perfect, but I believe at the end of this life, it's going to work out okay for me. I believe there's gonna be forgiveness. And what they don't understand is what Paul is saying. We can only make the appeal for forgiveness to the God of the universe if we hold that citizenship. If we don't hold that citizenship, we can no more make an appeal for forgiveness to the God of the universe than a Turkish national in prison can make to Donald Trump. But we are citizens and we can make that appeal. Secondly, we not only have the right to appeal, if we're a citizen in this life, we have power over our sin. So when we lived in Italy, we had to get a visa to be able to live there. And and, and the type of visa that we would get was a very specific type of visa. It was called a religious motives visa. And the Italian consulates do not, worldwide, they don't like to hand out these visas for a variety of reasons, mainly because they think that these type of people, they're the ones eroding at the culture of our country. So we don't wanna let them in. But I have more power to get that kind of visa than anybody else, anywhere else in the world. And do you know why? Because I have this. And if you're out there and thinking, is Jim using a prop right now? (laughs) The answer is yes. And I want you to pay attention because it has been five years since I've used a prop and it could be five more before you ever see one again. (laughs) But because of this document, I have legal power that nobody else in the world has to get this kind of a visa. And not only do I have power, I have access to tools and resources to make sure that I experience the fullness of the power that is imputed to me through this document. I have access to lawyers, I have access to government authorities, all of which we had to use at times during ministry in other, in overseas. And in the same way, when we believe and become citizens of this heavenly kingdom, we are given the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome our sin, to have power over our sin. And we are given tools and resources to make sure that we experience the fullness of the power that a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is supposed to receive. We have tools like the word, like the gathering, like fellowship, communion, confession. We have all kinds of tools at our disposal that guarantee or enhance our ability to experience the power of the Christian life because we are not citizens of this earth anymore. We are no longer strangers. We are citizens of the kingdom to come. So how are we doing at experiencing this power? And the best ni- diagnostic I know over and over again is for us to look at the way we're using our time and our money. When we look at the way we use our time and our money, does it look any different than people who hold a different citizenship? Does it look different? Angela and I made a friend with a, a man from Senegal years ago. And he was, he was not in Senegal because there was no work there. And he would work in Europe and he would live extremely meagerly, not just because he didn't make a lot of money, but because he would send everything he could back to his home nation. His family was there. That's where his heart is. And it was a good picture to me for us to ask, does the way we spend our time and our money, does it place a higher value on this world or the one to come? Do we lay up treasures in this world or the one to come? So we have power we have appeal. And then lastly, we have peace. In our passage next week, Paul is going to say, don't be anxious about anything. And the opposite of peace is anxiety. And anxiety at the end of the day is a concern that our life might not happen the way I want it to happen. I don't control it. And and I want to, let me give a little caveat. I realize that If anxiety is something that you really battle, I don't want to oversimplify it. I don't want to minimize it. If you hear the next few sentences, you'll be cured for life. That's not what I'm saying. And I also recognize that there are real chemical issues that come to play when, when we can't control our anxiety. But I don't want to minimize another fact that the more we are connected to the God of the universe, the more we nourish that connection, the more peace we're going to have in our inability to control our lives. We have no no control over the most important parts of our lives. We don't know how our, our lives are going to transpire. But when we're connected to the king and we know that he loves us and it's all that is transpiring, even when it feels like our whole world is falling apart, is going to happen for our good and that we are guaranteed a life, an eternal life, where there will be no more pain and no more strife. The more we understand that and believe that, the more we're connected to our king, the more peace we're going to experience in this life. I'm gonna use a a Tim Keller analogy. He says, imagine if you, in the workplace, you had a boss and this boss was two things. The boss was extremely wise and he was your, your most trusted confidant. How would that impact your workplace? it would make it pretty great. (laughs) If your boss, at the end of the day, you never doubted his wisdom and you never doubted the fact that he cared for you. So if you walk in one morning and everything's changing, everything's restructuring, the amount of peace you have during that transition is going to be elevated because you know at the end of the day, even if you don't understand what's going on in the workplace, your boss is wise and he cares about you. And in the same way, the more we trust in the goodness and the faithfulness of our father in heaven, when we experience seasons of anxiety, we're not going to have to simply cope because we know the cure. So appeal, power, and peace. But at the end of the day, our citizenship is not primarily for this life. (laughs) It's primarily for for the next. So, What promises do we have in the next life if we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Last point, there are whole streams of Christianity that claim the major promises of the Bible, they are to be had in this life. We should expect to be happy and healthy and wealthy in this life. The theological term for that is over-realized eschatology. <laughs> that what, what's promised us in the next life, we're overrealizing it here. At the end of the day, the promises aren't simply for this life. They're for the next. And now obviously I, I have, <laughs> I think there are a lot of promises for the Christian life. I just use my entire middle point on those things. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if, if the promises of the Christian life only exist for this life, That's not a Christianity I'm very interested in because I know this life will fail me. We're gonna get sick. Some of us will get better. Some of us will not. This life will fail all of us because all of us are going to die and I want to understand what happens after that. So what promise do we have? We have the promise that Jesus is coming back and that he is going to take the colony that he has established and bring about the kingdom fully a kingdom with no flaws, a kingdom that will not fail and we will have bodies that will make Avatar look like nothing. We will have bodies that will laugh at CrossFit and in this kingdom, we will experience pleasures that will make the, the deepest pleasures we experience in this life seem bland and cold compared to what we experience there. And I personally believe we're gonna be able to explore this universe Freely without having to sit tightly in a tin can going from place to place. I don't know what all is going to look like in the next life, but it will be a perfect kingdom. And whatever it is that you can imagine, it's going to be a hundred thousand times better than that. One man saw this kingdom. And he wrote about it. His name was John. And in Revelation chapter 21, this is how he describes it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. That is the kingdom that will come that belief in Jesus Christ gives us citizenship to. And frequently enough, when When this verse is read, there will be no tears and no mourning. Somebody is thinking, but how can that be if my parents aren't there, if my siblings aren't there, if my kids aren't there? And this is a really good and reasonable question. And I don't claim to fully know the answer, but I want to say just a couple things. There will be surprises in heaven. (laughs) I promise you, every one of us will go into heaven and see somebody and think, whoa, I did not expect to see you here. We can never assume the game is over for anyone because we're not God. And then when we get there, I know two more things are gonna be true. I know that no one will doubt God's goodness and faithfulness and justice. None of us will do that. And I know that the joy of being in our new home, in our new bodies, and even more than all of that with our creator, it will be so significant that it can literally wipe away every pain we have ever experienced. This is Paul's hope. And this is why he says, why he can write from prison, Philippians 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy in my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm. If we believe in Jesus Christ and we believe that we are citizens, we are a colony of a kingdom that is coming, then we need to ask ourselves very seriously are we living out that citizenship? There is a way we should be living if we're a citizen. There's a way if we're citizens that we should live that will increase the joy of the Christian life, that will increase the fruitfulness of our life. So I think everyone knows I spent 10 years in Mississippi, long enough to call it Mississippi, not Mississippi. No one there calls it that, Mississippi. And, And I really did get to learn more about a lot of the racial tensions in our country. And I got to learn more about how the South evolved post-civil war and one thing that that not a lot of people talk about is what it was like for an african-american who has only in some cases for generations known slavery to all all of a sudden be a citizen i mean you have african-american men and women who have for their whole life at least and probably for everyone's lives that they had that they knew been told you do what the white man tells you however small a thing however degrading of a thing however menial of a thing you are to do it because if you don't they could beat you within an inch of your life and then all of a sudden one day they're citizens they're citizens with all the rights and privileges that come with u.s citizenship and sadly very few of them acted like citizens there were so many habits and fears And the society was still so against them that they did not get to experience all the glory that there is in being a citizen, in being a free man. And in the same way, we can be a Christian and live like a slave. And I think it's getting harder. You know, I I grew up, my parents grew up in the age of commercials and billboards always telling us, this is what's really gonna make you happy. Now my kids are growing up in a world of social media that makes, they don't even notice billboards and commercials anymore. There's so much more power over the mind and that's where the battle is. The battle is over the mind and we have to understand our worldview and understand who we are as citizens if we're gonna be able to process that, if we're gonna be able to help our kids and our grandkids process the things that are gonna come their way because we want to know and we want them to know you are citizens of a kingdom that is not yet here. And your focus needs to be on that kingdom, not this one. And we need to dream, what would it look like if we are part of a church, not just of citizens of heaven, but citizens of heaven who are experiencing all the joy and the power of that citizenship? That kind of church is going to have an impact. That kind of church will be a light in a dark place. And that's that's what I wanna pray for wherever we are, that we would realize our citizenship even more, that we would glory in it, we would dwell on it, and we would experience all the freedom and power that God wants us to experience because we have received that citizenship by the grace of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we, we come to you as a group of people who, again, would... Likely not all hang out if if it weren't for you. We certainly wouldn't all know each other. We know that there are societal barriers that would keep us from knowing each other. But God, we are citizens of your kingdom. We are a small but real colony of the kingdom to come. And I pray that you would draw us together both in our citizenship and in our alienness that we would look forward to coming together each week to worshiping you and to living out this gift of citizenship even more. We pray this by the power of your Holy Spirit and by the grace of your Son. Amen.